the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The antidote is forgiveness. And at some point you're going to have to trust God that if you actually exercise forgiveness, it will heal the bitter poison in your own heart. I'm not minimizing whatever somebody may have done to you. I'm not suggesting for a moment that that was fine or right or good. I'm not at all. What I'm saying is that bitterness will destroy you while the person who offended you will have no ramifications like what you're dealing with. And sometimes people make the mistake of thinking, if I forgive, I empower them. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. Forgiveness is crucial for you to positively move forward in your life. Failure to forgive will inevitably lead to anger and bitterness within. Pastor Gary warns you today of the repercussions that not forgiving leads to. He encourages you to be honest about the hurts in your life and teaches you that to overcome them, you must forgive those who have wronged you. Luckily, you're not on your own. Ask Jesus to come into your heart and to place in you the strength to forgive. With Him, there is nothing you cannot do. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. That's the antidote. It's forgiveness. It's deciding by your will, because it won't be a feeling. Forgiveness is never a feeling. If, you, if you're waiting to forgive somebody until you feel like it, you'll never forgive them. Feel, feelings have nothing to do with forgiveness. You might, in the end, feel better after you have forgiven, but it will never lead you to forgiveness. So forgiveness is, a, is an act of the will. And forgiveness is the antidote to bitterness. And it is the only thing that will really cure the poison in your life, is to forgive. Now, whenever I talk about this subject... People inevitably will say things like, but you have no idea what I've been through. And I don't. All I know is the antidote. The antidote is forgiveness. And at some point, you're going to have to trust God that if you actually exercise forgiveness, it will heal the bitter poison in your own heart. I'm not minimizing whatever somebody may have done to you. I'm not suggesting for a moment that that was fine or right or good. I'm not at all. What I'm saying is that bitterness will destroy you while the person who offended you will have no ramifications like what you're dealing with. 
And sometimes people make the mistake of thinking, if I forgive, I empower them. If I forgive them, I empower them, and I actually somehow validate that what they did to me was wrong. So I can't forgive, because I don't want to give them this sense that I'm empowering them, that what they did to me was okay. No, 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 no. When you forgive, you're not empowering them, you're empowering you. When you forgive, you're not empowering them. You are liberating yourself. You are empowering you to say, I am no longer going to be bound by a root of bitterness because I'm tired of it springing up, causing trouble, and defiling not, over, not only me, but everybody else around me. I want to be free from this. And many of you know the story of Corrie Ten Boom. It's, she's a, a, a wonderful woman who uh, died back in the 80s. In fact, my pastor, Chuck Smith, did her funeral. Um, you know, long before, obviously, he died in 2013. But um, Corrie Ten Boom was a wonderful woman of God who, um, during World War II, harbored Jews. Uh, she and her family, her parents, she and her sister, harbored Jews in their home. They had a clock-making uh, business in Amsterdam, sheltering Jews, hiding them in, in uh, you know, fake walls in their house. And then every time the Nazis would come by, the, the Jewish people living in, in her home would scurry to these you know, hidden rooms within the walls of their home. And they knew that their lives could be in danger uh, if they were ever discovered, and eventually they were. So Corrie ten Boom and her sister and her parents were taken to a Nazi concentration camp. And um, Corrie ten Boom watched all of her family exterminated And she survived. End of World War II came. She was able to survive, got out of her concentration camp, and basically started traveling wherever she could to proclaim the gospel and to give her testimony. And, of course, one of the major themes of her testimony is how do you forgive when when you saw your own family members slaughtered at a concentration camp. And so she, she writes in one of her books, I don't remember which one, but she writes about how she was giving a, a talk about forgiveness. And she said at the end of her talk, this gentleman came walking up to her, and the closer she, he got to her, she realized this was the commanding officer of the concentration camp where her family was exterminated. And he held out his hand to her, to shake her hand, and he asked for her forgiveness. Here she had just gotten through with this teaching on forgiveness, and she was confronted with having to put action behind what she just said. And she talks about how I understood that this was an act of my will. I didn't feel like forgiving him. I didn't want to shake his hand. He represented death to me. He represented pain to me. He represented heartache to me. He represented the worst of humanity to me. Said, but I realized in that moment, not only did I have to practice what I preach, but I had, I had to also demonstrate my will in forgiving him in the same way that God demonstrated his will in forgiving us. She said, and I stuck out my hand and shook his hand. Because forgiveness is a matter of the will. And if we don't forgive, we will end up being eaten alive by bitterness. We all know people like this, and some of those people might even be some of you. And I would just encourage you. It's not a one and done, necessarily, sometimes. I've, I've seen some people who prayed a prayer of forgiveness towards someone, and it was gone, like the Lord removed it. 
Often, forgiveness is baby steps. Every day deciding, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to forgive. When it starts to rise up, I'm going to forgive. When it starts to rise up again, I'm going to forgive. So that you can walk in freedom and really have the real power that you're afraid of extending to whoever hurt you and experiencing it yourself in being liberated through the antidote of forgiveness. Number four on the list is avoiding sexual sin. He adds there in verse 16, see that no one is sexually immoral. No one is sexually immoral. Uh, write a verse down in the margin of your Bible there. It's 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 spells it out pretty clearly. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. This is written to the believer. Those who are not believers are obviously living in our world by a different set of standards. So it isn't that I expect, you know, what's, what's, what's wrong with the world? They don't, they don't live by the standards of God's word. It isn't until you know the Lord that you then should have a desire to live according to his standard. But otherwise, the world, they're living as the world does. And how is the world doing in this area of sexuality? I mean, when you, when you look at what the world is doing right now, it's craziness. And basically, what it's come down to in the last few years, and I don't think this is an over-exaggeration, I think really what it's come down to is, human sexuality, as far as the world defines it, is this. As long as it's consensual, and as long as it's between adults, anything goes. I mean, you know, just... A decade ago, I wouldn't have probably defined it that way, or 20 years ago certainly wouldn't have defined it that way, but now it's basically, it's a genderless thing. You know, what Miley Cyrus came out and says she's like asexual, whatever that means, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's, I thought it was only bisexual, homosexual, heterosexual, but now we have all new words too. I'm trying to learn new words, like asexual, what does that mean? Like, you, you, anyway, it's all confusing now. And, uh, and yet... The world standard, I, you know, I, sometimes I stop and I go, okay, but how's that working for people? You know, the World Health Organization has identified more than 30 sexually transmitted diseases. You know, most people, I don't, I'm not going to poll anybody, but most people <laughs> could probably name like three sexually transmitted diseases. There are over 30, but we don't really want to talk too much about that because then the consensual anything goes between adults... That puts a wet blanket on it when you start talking about 30-plus sexually transmitted diseases, not to mention HIV, HPV, not to mention emotional distress that happens through promiscuity, not to mention all the debate about what's consensual anymore. You know, you know people get into messes because, though I thought it was consensual. It wasn't consensual. Didn't you say yes? I said yes, but then I said no halfway through, and didn't you hear no? I mean, it's just like all of this just confusion, and now... Now, to add insult to injury on this whole topic of human sexuality and gender identity and homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexuality, bestiality, all this, all this, the mess of all of this, just a few months ago, well, I was going to say Boy Scouts, but it's, they've dropped the boy part now. So the Scouts, the Scouts of America, for the 2019 Jamboree happening in West Virginia this summer, 
it is mandated to hand out condoms. And why is this? Well, because we've dropped the boy part of Boy Scouts, so there will be females there. But also, as many of you know, the Boy Scouts have openly allowed homosexual scout leaders, and so that we don't want to tell young men that that may not be normal, so we're just going to hand out condoms. Yeah, the uh, uh, Washington Times came out with an article um, May of this past year. A uh, short little article, This I'm, I'm reading right from the Washington Times. The Boy Scouts will reportedly provide condoms at the upcoming World Scout Jamboree. The World Organization of Scouting Movement Handbook requires the host organization to, quote, ensure that condoms are readily and easily accessible for our, all participants and international service team staff at a number of locations on the site. 2019 World Scout Jamboree will be held in West Virginia from July 21 to August 1st. The theme is, here's the theme, quote, unlock a new world, end quote. Hey, unlock a new world, and by the way, here's your condom. I mean, uh, this is where we're going. So when I start talking about the standards that God has put in place and what the, what the Bible says, and, and you know, some people who don't understand you know, the standard of, of the Bible, they snicker, and they go, oh, you know, how old-fashioned, how antiquated. And I just want to stop and go, but how is the rest of this messed up world doing in this, in this area? Like, they're champions of healthy human sexuality. So why don't we just go ahead and get back to the handbook and understand what God says, and at least as far as it, it, as it goes for Christians who say, yeah, I love Jesus, I want to honor God, I want to do what his word says, then, then let's just stick with the handbook. It's been good for thousands of years. If we just would honor God and honor what he says and enjoy sex as a gift, which God has given for a married couple, and I'm living in a day where I have to define that, which is between one man and one woman, to be enjoyed for pleasure and procreation. Sex is a gift. Beyond that, listen, friends, it's, it's this basic. If you're a believer and you want to honor God with your body and you want to honor God in the area of your human sexuality, if you're married, fidelity in marriage. If you're single, abstinence and singleness. That's what it comes down to. That's it. That's it. Well, Pastor Gary, you don't understand, you know, you know it's, it's kind of like buying a car, you know, I got I to test drive the car a little bit before I actually purchase the vehicle. Listen, it's not, it's not like buying a car, okay? It's like diving from the high dive. You take a plunge and hope you don't die. That's what, no, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Here's a better analogy. It's not like buying a car and test driving it, okay? It's like Christmas morning, all right? Don't open the gift until the day, the day you're married. And when you get married, you can enjoy the celebration of opening that Christmas gift and mutually enjoying the joy of that moment, right? That's the way it should be. That's the beauty of it. But again, it's, oh, that's so, oh, that's so boring. Hey, I guarantee you, If you follow God's prescription, you will enjoy the gift that he's given to its ultimate height and not have to deal with all the other guilt, shame, disease, uh, all the emotional baggage, all the other stuff, all the other previous girlfriends or boyfriends, all that other stuff. When you honor God and do it his way, he's glorified. You know, I find it interesting in the Bible when you, and you don't need to turn there, but in Acts chapter 15, on this subject, in Acts chapter 15, um, the 
Council of Jerusalem was meeting to try to figure out how do we narrow down all these Old Testament laws to New Testament Gentile believers? Because originally, the early church was exclusively made up of Jewish believers in Jesus. And they realized that for the Gentiles coming to faith, they're going to look at all the Old Testament laws and they're going to wonder, what should we really be about? And so the Council of Jerusalem gathered together, Acts chapter 15, and they decided, we're going to narrow down a few things to the most important matters. And in Acts 15, they basically come down with three dietary aspects of the law, and and not that they should be bound to the dietary aspects, but only in regards to not offending their Jewish brothers and sisters. And then there was one moral thing, one Just one in Acts chapter 15. So like, here's a few dietary things that maybe the Gentiles can respect out of of deference to their Jewish believers, brothers and sisters. But there's going to be one moral thing that we're going to ask everybody to recognize. No sexual immorality. And, And that word often in your New Testament is where it talks about sexual immorality. It is that Greek word pornea, which is where we get our English word pornography. And it is a broad term that covers all forms of sexual expression outside of the bounds of marriage between one man and one woman. So all sexual experience outside of marriage between one man and one woman is sexual immorality. So sex before marriage, if you are married, sex with somebody else, which is adultery, that sexual immorality. You know, it, it, there are a lot underneath that broad category of pornea. So it's just safer, in a, in, instead of just trying to figure out what are all the different sexual immoral sins, it's just easier to say, okay, here's what is a healthy, honorable, sexual experience in the eyes of God. It is enjoying each other in the context of a marriage, one man and one woman, sexually, for pleasure and procreation. If I just will focus on that, then I don't have to worry about all the other stuff. And this is what God calls us to. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, It says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. And so we have to honor God in this way, folks. We have to honor God with our bodies. We have to honor God with our sexuality. God has given us this as a gift that should be enjoyed in the confines of his prescribed way so that we might enjoy the gift he's given us to its fullest, to its fullest. Well, the last one on the list here is don't be godless. And he adds that um, on the heels of sexually immoral. He says, or godless like Esau, who for a single meal, this is the rest of verse 16, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. And afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind that we sought the blessing with tears. So this is a reference to Esau, who had a brother Jacob. The story is given to us in the book of Genesis. It starts in Genesis chapter 25. They're twins. Esau is born first. He is literally hairy, like he's just got a lot of fur, all right? And so his parents call him Esau. And Esau in Hebrew means hairy. It does. H-A-I-R-Y. And then his brother Jacob comes out grasping the heel of Esau. So he's just, you know, he comes out, you know, on a ride, on a train. And, uh, and they name him Yaakov, Jacob. Yaakov in, in Hebrew. Yaakov means literally heel grasper, but it's um, a euphemism for somebody who trips somebody up. So it means deceiver. So they have Harry and Deceiver, all right? 
And the Bible says that Harry was a man of the fields. He was just, he just liked to hunt a lot. And he liked wild game and he liked being outside. And it says that Jacob was a man of the tents. He liked that. He was a homebody. He was a homeboy. He liked Netflix and video games. All right. And so Esau one day is out doing what Jacob doesn't really care to do. He'd rather just be home, you know, watching the Food Network and, and making some cookies with mom. But Esau comes back, you know, I mean, and, it, you know, it's easy to hunt wild animals when you kind of look like one. Because he, that's the way he was. He's all hairy. He's like a beast. And, like, and they could sneak up on him. They didn't even notice. And so he could kill him. They would drag him home. And he comes home on this one occasion. And he's famished. He's been out hunting all day. And Jacob's at home because he's been watching the Food Network. And he's, been, he's stirring some stew. And, he, and he's like, would you like some stew? And Esau's like, yeah, I'm famished. And Jacob says, sell me your birthright first. Now, the, because Esau was oldest, he had an actual, it was an actual document. It was a birthright. And the birthright of the oldest born son was this, that you got twice your father's inheritance when dad died. And you were also considered to be the patriarch when dad died. You kind of took over the family and became the family patriarch. And you got the blessing of the father. So those three things were very valuable. And so Jacob says to Esau, sell me your birthright, and I'll give you some stew. And Esau says, fine, and he's because he's famished. And he gets a bowl of stew, and he gives Jacob his birthright. When dad Isaac is up in age and is ready to depart this world, he ends up giving his blessing to Jacob. There's some deception involved there. Mom plays in on the game too. But in the end of the day, bottom line is, Jacob was God's will as, as far as Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. Jacob was part of God's ultimate plan for redemption. Okay, it was God's providence. But Esau was so upset when dad was handing out the blessings that he could not get that blessing back because he had despised his birthright and he rejected it. And even though he sought it with tears, he was godless because in a moment when his flesh had the longest appetite for something. He deferred to the flesh instead of his spirit. And his flesh and the appetite of that moment when he wanted, I just want, I just want stew. He allowed his flesh to dominate. That's what's meant by godless. Again, ESV uses the word unholy. In New King James uses the word profane. Profane is from two Latin words, profanum. Fanum means temple. Pro means in front of profanum, in front of the temple. Anything that is profane, the temple was the holy sacred place. Anything outside the temple is profane. And so Esau was not operating in a place where he was motivated and led and guided by the Spirit in an honorable, holy way. He was profane. He was outside the holiness of God. And he allowed his flesh to dominate in a moment of weakness. How many people have made life-altering decisions because of five minutes of pleasure. Esau was godless because he allowed his flesh to rule and sold his birthright for a bowl of soup in a moment of weakness. Don't allow your flesh to dominate. Recognize those moments of weakness and resist the devil and he will flee and deny the flesh and crucify those ungodly desires so that we might be godly men and women, not godless men and women like Esau. Oh,
The book of Hebrews challenges all believers of Jesus to continue to embrace Him as the only hope of salvation. Too often we can find ourselves trying to keep up our faith by adding traditions back in. No one is saved because of Jesus and something else. It's only Jesus. There's still nothing you or anyone else can do to ensure forgiveness of sin. Jesus took care of it once and for all. And through faith in that fact, you can begin to grow and flourish in God's plan for you, falling more in love with your Savior every day. We're honored you spent time with us here today studying the book of Hebrews on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to more editions of Pastor Gary Hamrick's teachings in Hebrews, you can do so by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or if you're someone frequently on the go, download our mobile app to take these messages along for the ride. What a great way to keep God's Word close at hand, no matter where this life takes you. We'd love to meet you too. So if you're in the area, come join us this Sunday at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary will lead us in another study of the Bible, and we always include time for worship and fellowship. You'll find service times, directions, and all the additional information you need at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for joining us today for Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know